0: This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by Acura, leading the way in auto innovation for over 30 years. Keep listening to discover how Acura sees things differently in the pursuit of precision crafted performance. I am not organized at all. I, uh, I I try and write everything down because I also have an extremely bad memory.
1: Um, I'm not organized. I can say that very safely. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is I'll Go First from The Globe and Mail. This is not your average tech podcast. We're going beyond the headlines and behind the million-dollar deals to chat with innovators and industry trailblazers on this episode. Hi,
0: I'm Mai Mavencurve. I'm founder and COO at Sightline Innovation. We're an applied artificial intelligence company and we help enterprises be productive with artificial intelligence.
1: Artificial intelligence is revolutionizing every aspect of our lives. Driverless cars, phones that recognize our faces, chatbots that respond instantly, and even companies that can detect fraud. Remember MindBridge AI founder Solon Angel from episode three? Yeah, that's all AI. My Mavencurve knows all about how AI can make businesses smarter, faster, and more efficient. Her company, Sightline Innovation, offers machine learning that helps businesses make better predictions using data. Whether it's performing a genetic analysis of HIV and peanut allergies, or improving services for homeless people in the shelter system, Sightline Innovation provides the tools all companies need to do is apply it. Today, Mai opens up about why she ditched Silicon Valley, what it's like being a woman of color working in AI, hint, it's not easy, and trying to get her kids to read more and play a little less Fortnite. Here's our conversation. One of the many reasons that we wanted you on this podcast is that your company is, is really focused on artificial intelligence. And we've seen in recent years that Canada has become a leader in this space. Can you break down exactly what your company does and how it relates to that?
0: Yeah, sure. So we have a product that's a software as a service machine learning platform. And we allow companies to use those machine learning algorithms and actually embed it into processes. So if I give you a couple of examples, um, we work in a lot of different industries. In, uh, in manufacturing, as an example, we help with analyzing products for quality control. So a lot of stuff still done manually or done by old systems. You know, is, is my contact lens good or bad? Is my product good or bad? Are there defects? Things like that. In the government realm, uh, working with uh, biosecurity, a customer of ours. What they have is they've got test strips that they use to detect for volatile organic compounds. And a lot of these results need to be sent back into the lab and analyzed, OK, is this anthrax? Is this something else? And so helping to actually automate that process in near real time and have a machine learning system to be able to detect what all these different compounds are. In uh, insurance and also in healthcare. looking at opioid abuse, um, there's a lot of of data out there, so being able to actually analyze different data sets to see if there are certain people that perhaps uh, may be more predisposed or have challenges that we can anticipate for municipalities. Um, Another one around homelessness, being able to better predict the types of services that need to be provided to residents around the shelter system and things like that. So all of these examples span a broad range, right? So these are very targeted use cases that customers will come to us with. Um, Sorry, another example I should give you as well is around uh, HIV and peanut allergy. So we do a lot of application of machine learning in genetic analysis as well. So being able to understand causality, what are the markers that cause obesity or peanut allergy? Uh, what are the factors, the biomarkers in a genetic sequence that are causally related to um, HIV? So th- th- this is some of the, I'm just giving you examples of some of the work that we've done um, applying our platform. Um, what people struggle with is, well, that's just a lot of stuff. And yes, it is. Uh, it is a lot of stuff. Um, but machine learning is is that broad. What you really do is you 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 give it data and it learns from data. The power is in being able to take sort of that, those learnings and, and, and use them, uh, whether that's in a process or whether that's in a, a, a decision making sort of process that a human is doing, so augmenting uh, decision making, or, or simply just in discovery, in the case of the peanut allergy or the HIV example. So we're we're really across the board we give people this software and then they can run and use these algorithms with their own data.
1: And so what do you think is one of the uh, biggest misconceptions that the public has about your work?
0: There's quite a few misconceptions because the understanding of what artificial intelligence is, what its capabilities, what its limits are, it's a very fluid thing. Uh, You know, new discoveries are happening all the time. Um, And so it's it's certainly a moving target when it comes to really grasping the spectrum of what's possible. But I think probably one of the misconceptions within at least the, the the realm that I work in is is two. One is, of course, sort of this fear around uh, jobs, and so that that's probably a, a very big one. And the second one is is probably a little bit more specific in that. Uh, people are still trying to grasp, well, how is this really different from business intelligence? Um, how is it different from what I've kind of already been doing, you know, historically? So those are probably the two areas of misconceptions that we at least face on a, on a daily basis. Uh, of course, the misconceptions around artificial intelligence are much broader than that. And that's really just given the fact that we're so early still.
1: Is there a fear that all of our jobs will someday disappear or be replaced by robots uh yeah <laughs> you know
0: i kind of consider myself a bit of an optimist so my response to that is going to be i think this is part of a natural evolution you know the fear is as perhaps um, a little bit more acute but maybe not so different from you know when we had automation of physical manual labor the difference here of course is that it's um uh, automating different types of knowledge type of jobs so it- As an example, you know, radiology and medicine, there's automation of of decisions potentially or augmenting uh, rather than automating, augmenting of of decision making. You know, we're evolving as a society. We have access to new tools that can help us grow as a society. Um, What's equally critical in that journey is the governance around artificial intelligence and the ethics around it. If we do that right, it's it's really no different than any other tools that perhaps we might fear or have feared in the in the past. So, when did you catch the startup bug? Uh, right out of university actually. Um so, when I was in university, I did engineering. I was completely convinced that I wasn't gonna do anything engineering related when I graduated. Um, I actually kinda had it in my mind that, you know, I'm gonna move to the valley, gonna do something there and do my MBA and I had all these plans. All of that changed. <laughs> I, I met the love of my life who's now my husband and um, it kinda just shifted what I really wanted. I ended up getting a job here at a startup in Toronto that's really when I got the startup bug that company epoch integration the the CTO there is now my business partner um, at sightline just a phenomenal environment super uh, energizing innovative all the all the cool fun stuff that you would expect from a startup um, that kind of got ingrained in me right out of university and so that company got acquired by research in motion and then so I did kind of the corporate thing for a bit and uh, yeah but couldn't, couldn't do it for long and had to get back into startup mode.
1: And um, your time at Research Motion, um, what did that teach you about leadership or did it have any impact on your later career?
0: Yeah, so I was at RIM or, or BlackBerry now um, at a pretty critical time. I think it was sort of um, the iPhone had just come out and, and so BlackBerry was still on a high. I think at that time, I really learned about the challenges of scaling. Um, my company right now, Sightline, were still s- fairly small. But, you know, just thinking about sort of the scaling challenges of making sure that information is distributed properly, the challenges of uh, pivoting, you know, when ideas have to change, all those kinds of things. So it's different from what what I experience now on a day-to-day, but certainly helps you sort of, uh, you know, you can kind of pull back and and look at, you know, what what are the challenges my director's had and and things like that to, to sort of bring back now. What
1: was the one thing that surprised you when you moved to Canada?
0: I, f- I came to Canada first when I was, um, I visited when I was, I think, about 10 years old. Um, what blew my mind was, there's 24-hour TV. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, this is insane, because when I was in Saudi, um, TV would stop, like, this was a while ago, right? But they would stop uh, their programming. Now they have 24-hour TV, but at the time, it would stop at, like, 8 o'clock. Yeah. I
1: was, like, so amazed by that. <laughs> is there something you binged watch?
0: Um, when I was yeah, Friends. I was friends. hooked on Friends for a bit. Then Seinfeld got hooked on Classic. that. Yeah, geez, that it's really aging me now. I, I don't know if I want to talk about <laughs> <Okay>. this anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Subject change. Yep. You're a founder, a successful entrepreneur. How do you manage it all? You know, everybody asks me that. It's a it's a great question. Um,
0: it's a lot of juggling. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a, <laughs> it it's it's a lot of work. You know, I think at the end of the day, the way that. I do it is that I love what I do. And that's really what kind of drives me forward. I have a lot of support, obviously, at home. And my kids keep me extremely grounded. Uh, <laughs> so that that certainly helps. They don't really care what I do at work. Uh, they, they just want mom. So honestly, I just I love what I do. And that just drives me forward. Has putting family first altered your career path in any way? It hasn't changed my career goals necessarily. But it has certainly changed the way in which I approach things. My husband, amazing guy. I've been with him for, geez, God knows how long, like since we were 19. So uh, we've really evolved and grown kind of together. And now I have two boys. I've, I've now realized to me what is important is my family. The company is critical and crucial, and I put my heart and soul into it, obviously. But when I come home at the end of the day, that zen or that peace is is really centered around them. If you're going to run a company, if you're going to do this and really give your all for everything... Um, You need to know sort of what your center is. You know, you need to know what grounds you. And so, um, you know, my decisions are still very much driven by what my family needs of me. And I'm getting better at delegating. I'm getting better at making decisions that don't throw things off the rails, I guess. Um, I wanted to stay in Toronto. That's what changed. Um, So do I feel like I missed out on anything? Absolutely not. If anything, things are unbelievably beyond what I would have ever dreamed of. Um, And now being part of sort of this government circle, I'm a proud Canadian. I want to see Canada succeed and, you know, We've had a brain drain that we all talk about, losing people to, uh, you know, Silicon Valley or wherever it is. And I was, you know, I was, I could have been one of those. Um, and I'm so glad that I was, not and I'm so glad that I stayed. Obviously, I stayed for different reasons, but I'm so glad that I did. In in the end, nothing drives me more than my family, and I think it makes me a better leader. I really think it does. I think it, it, it gives me clarity in my thoughts, um, and it, it kind of gets the noise out of the picture, and you kind of just are able to stay more focused on, you know, what, it, what are you trying to achieve here? Plus, it makes you a lot more efficient because you don't have a lot of time in the day. So yeah.
1: Yeah, The podcast is all about I'll go first, and you are very much a trendsetter. You are an engineer. You're also a woman of color, and you're working in AI. What does that feel like? There aren't many, many women like yourself who are working in this field.
0: Yeah, no, I mean... (sighs) throughout my career um, not worked with a lot of women and I'll be completely 100% honest with you when I walk into a room I honestly don't even notice if there's men in the room or women in the room I think just the way that my brain is perhaps wired I've really never thought of oh my gosh I'm a woman and you know I need to behave a certain way or do a certain thing I've really always looked at and, and perhaps it's sort of the logic engineering kind of mindset or brain you know, I approach every meeting, opportunity, whatever I've kind of faced in my career, not as a woman, but just as, look, I have, I have something to contribute. I really don't reflect on myself as necessarily like a female uh, role model. It's super exciting. It's uh, very humbling that you even reference me in that way. So I truly appreciate that. But, um,
1: but yeah, I mean, I think I'm here to just do what I love doing. I love it. Um, Are there any situations or circumstances that you face that are very specific to being a woman or a person of color? So, anecdote. Uh, I know sometimes I go to tech conferences, in particular is one I went to two years ago. And whenever I entered a room, people thought I was the waitress and not the tech expert who was going on stage to talk about technology. Have you ever experienced something like that? Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, you gotta tell uh, me. Of course. Uh, I'm. I mean, you know, uh, when I was a bit younger, I was. I, I think I just say I was probably a bit clueless, and you know, I was very much um, giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, like that's just my nature, I think. But as I've progressed in my career, especially in this role as a founder um what I have sometimes notice is uh, you know when you do walk into meetings people don't necessarily give you the attention that perhaps you feel that you need or want um, and then when I do introduce myself as, as the founder of the company, it, it does change. So if it happens over a, 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 it happens a lot more yeah. than just once you kind of like okay, maybe there's something here but you know I don't really give that kind of stuff a lot of thought. Um, it, it doesn't really bother me. I mean I'm it If anything, I think I'm happy because it gives me an opportunity to really blow them away.
1: Now, the Acura Innovation Series. Why would you build a custom
0: supercar in a generic factory? That's the question Acura asked before setting out to build the best production facility in the world. A place to perfect new technologies and processes, Acura's Performance Manufacturing Center in Marysville, Ohio, is built to build better. Like the new NSX, crafted with processes so intricate even watching its paint dry gives GearHeads goosebumps. Visit Acura.ca to discover their current lineup.
1: What we like to call rapid fire. It's fun, I swear. You'll love it. Pretty much, I ask you a couple of questions you have to answer as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What is your greatest fear? Death. What do you do for fun? Spend time with my boys. What motivates you? My family. What is your perfect day off? Hanging out, vegging on the TV. <laughs> How many hours do you work in a day? I don't even keep count. <laughs> How many hours do you sleep? Uh, about six, seven. What's the one word your friends would use to describe you? Kind. What's your favorite game? Don't have one. Interesting. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you for playing Rapid Fire. I'm surprised by the game one. For some reason, we were we were coming up with questions. We just thought because you're an engineer, you would love puzzles and board games. No. What do you do? Not to- at all. Not at all. Okay. No. I I I
0: love reading. I'm a book lover. I'm at a point in my life where um, spare time is such a scarce resource. Um, So when I do get a little bit of extra spare time, I might be taking a nap. So I, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I got to store it up. What's your favorite book? That's a tough one. I, I'm not sure I have a favorite. I was, I was hooked on a lot of um, East Indian authors. Ooh, can Uh, you give us one? uh, Yeah. So the one I just finished reading is actually a friend of a friend that wrote the book. It's called Ayesha at Last. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it. It's a, uh, she's a um, Toronto-based lawyer. Uh, sorry, not lawyer. Teacher. It's her first book, and uh, it's 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 fun. I like reading things that are not too heavy. Work can get very intense. Obviously, running a family can get very intense. And so, when I do get that downtime, I just want to keep it easy, keep it relaxed, and and nothing too
1: nothing too crazy for my. My brain. Makes sense. You're a <laughs> multitasker. Yeah. Very yeah. Shonda <laughs> rhymes of you. What do you read your sons before bedtime? It's more like
0: I am trying to get them to read. They're not, uh, they don't really like reading that much
1: uh, quite yet. So uh, maybe it's the numbers. They they Ian. really
0: they really got into the Harry Potter books for a while, um, but uh, I'm right now the big obsession is Fortnite. Oh, of uh, course it is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, and and knowing how they create these video games to just keep you addicted, I'm like, don't please. But I mean, they they're they're typical super high energy active kids, and if they're not outside, they might be on the iPad.
1: <laughs> and would you? Would you like to see them go into engineering or entrepreneurship? I'm happy with whatever they decide to do. Um, hopefully they don't listen to this when
0: they're older and, and, and play it back. Uh, but, you know, I want to open their eyes to to everything. Um, my, my older son, Sahil, is 10 years old, and um, I... I introduced him to Python programming just to kind of see like, okay, because they they, they they do a little bit of coding in school already. They've got the code.org. They do all these little puzzle games. And so they're teaching children pretty young. Um, it, it's through gamification. So they don't feel like they're programming. I want to give him um, and both my boys sort of exposure to different things. And I, for me, I think it's really what is their, what drives them, what's their passion. They need to figure that out. They have no clue. Um, and so as a parent, I feel feel, you know, obligated to at least show them, you know, what's out there. So they open their mind a little bit more. Um, I know about a year ago, um, his, uh, Sahil's um, uh, vision was to be a YouTuber. Interesting. That's, that's apparently a career now, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: How the times have
0: changed. (laughs) Times have definitely changed. Of course, I want to make sure they have that base science and math kind of foundation um, and everything changes honestly I had no clue what I wanted to do so we'll see we'll see what happens
1: okay so the next section is called the big three we ask you three in-depth questions you can take as much time as you want to answer them the first one you're the first in your field to do what you're doing. What's the one mistake that you made in your career, but that has helped you progress or learn? I would say it's probably around people management. I struggled with that early
0: on. Um, I think helping people develop, um, helping people to grow and not propping up people that are reporting into you um, properly early on in my career. You can lose good people that way. And so I'm learning now that part of being a good leader is it's not about you. It really is about how are you developing the
1: people around you and helping them sort of reach their own potential. So can I, can you be a little more specific? So do you mean um, like early in your career that maybe you um, you didn't acknowledge like an in- employee who was doing great work are you just you not hands giving, off? Not, yeah two, two hands off not giving proper um,
0: constructive feedback regularly enough. And so, you know, obviously, small company, we were never really into the formal feedback process. But it's not about the formal feedback process. It's really just about having that engaged conversation, you know, as soon as something happens, whether it's good or bad, or whatever it is, really having kind of that dialogue to help that person uh, grow. What's one piece of advice you would tell your younger self? Don't stress out so much. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the past when you're young, you have all these ambitions and you want it to be perfect and it's got to go like this. I've got to get married at this time. I've got to, you know, like you have so you put so much pressure on yourself. And so now that I've kind of come out the other end, so to speak, I suppose, and a little bit wiser, um, I feel like I want to, you know, reflecting back, you know, just. Take it easy. Things will fall into place when the time is right. And I saw this little uh, quote a while ago. It said, you know, run your own race. I don't know whose quote it is. I just saw that. And I, I love that. Run your own race. Don't waste time and energy looking at what's happening around you and just sort of focus on, you know, your own path and your own happiness, I guess. And so I would love to be able to have
1: done that when I was 20. That's interesting because the next question I feel like you've answered in some yeah, way already. She- but if you could do everything all over again professionally, is there anything you would do differently?
0: Not at all. You you got me at a good time in my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You really did. Like I'm in a place right now where I'm content. I'm driven. I'm, you know, things are touch wood going well. So I don't think I would change anything necessarily. And in the next five years, where do you see yourself? I want to see Canada be successful. Like uh, being part of sort of the the conversation around, um, you know, what's our vision for the future around the digital industries, the economic strategy table, seeing the success um, and the spotlight on Canada right now in AI, I want to see us prosper because of that, and not let it be all for for nothing. Um, so, you know, there's obviously the personal motivations, you know, for my family, my children, uh, and all of those things. But uh, but also for my company and and for for Canada. I mean, we've got phenomenal companies, we've got phenomenal talent, and and we deserve to to kind of enjoy that success. So
1: that's what I want to see. <laughs> Thank you to my Mavin Curve, for sharing her story. Now we want to hear yours. Make sure to hit me up online. I'm at Takara Small on Twitter, or you can email the show at podcasts at globalmail.com. I'll Go First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. It's executive produced by Kieran Rana and Katrina Bolak with editorial assistance from David Michaels. For more stories about entrepreneurship, visit the com. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.